0: The scriptures for this morning's sermon. I have two of them. One's from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, and the second one is from the Gospel of Luke. We've been preaching a sermon series about knowing Jesus, and we're walking all the way through the Gospel of Luke, picking out some of the best stories along the way, all the way to Easter. The first scripture is from Isaiah, though, so listen to, listen to God's Word. Isaiah says, On this mountain... The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. And the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. And the second scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. I'll just jump to a middle part of my sermon before I read this text. What I think this text is really about and what the sermon title is about is that God knows who Jesus is. I'll unpack that a little bit more, but God knows who Jesus is. And not directly, but indirectly, this text I'm about to read you from the Gospel of Luke is about Isaiah. It's about that invitation to a feast. So listen now to this story about Jesus being transfigured on the mountain. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James, and they went up onto the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. and his clothes, they became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to Jesus, They appeared in glory and were speaking about his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions, they were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not even knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came over and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days they told no one of any of the things they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, some of the program staff from Trinity were out of town, um, and Ian Hamilton preached for us while we were away. And that's, hopefully that was delightful for you all. Um, the program staff, we were in Grand Rapids, Michigan for this big symposium. You've heard us talk about it probably before if you've been here. Um, and it's great. Mary Kristen Steven, our new choir director, new music minister, he was there with us, which was fantastic. In um, this symposium, huh? Oh, and Kathy Morey, too, one of our elders, was there with us. It was great. Uh, going to the symposium is amazing. It's like the best professors in theology, and also in music ministry around the country, all show up in Grand Rapids in January. Um, And it's not just for academics. It's really for church. So it's really an amazing thing because there's these brilliant theologians and brilliant people that show up to this thing and just want to help the church, want to help the church grow up and learn about how to do theology better and how to do music better. So it's just a tremendous gift to us. There's probably a 100 seminars you can go to every day. There's all these great things going on. But for me... The best piece about it had to do with meals that I got to have while I was there. (laughs) Not the food, okay? It was college food. It was bad. It was not good at all. But it was honestly, every night, our staff, we sat down, we had dinner together. Life is so hectic here, it's so fast paced, we hardly can just sit back. We're always planning as a staff, what's coming up, what's next, what's next, what's next. Ash Wednesdays on Wednesday. Then we got another worship service on Sunday. What are we all doing to get ready for those things? But instead, it was like we just got to take a break, take a pause, listen in on what we heard God saying to us throughout the day as we listened to what Jesus was doing in our lives while we're going to these events. It was amazing. Those meals, they were so good. They were so great. Not because of the food, but because of the company. It was great. I think this text from the Gospel of Luke, though it doesn't look like it at all, it doesn't look like it at all. This Gospel text from Luke is actually about meals, and it's about table fellowship. It doesn't look like it on the front, but I think that's what it's about. Indirectly, it's about that. But directly, it's actually more about our sermon series, too. We're talking about knowing Jesus. That's what we've been talking about for the last month and a half. That's what this text is also about directly. Peter, James, John, these disciples— they get to follow Jesus up onto a mountainside, and Jesus reveals himself to them. He shows who he actually is, which is the Son of God. While he's up there, though, there's this interesting tension that develops. It's part of the story of the Gospel of Luke, which is the disciples that follow Jesus, they're trying to figure out who he is all along the way. They're trying to figure him out. They don't always quite get it on the journey, but they're trying to figure it out. Here's a couple interesting things that happen for Peter. One, this is kind of an interesting point. Peter calls Jesus master. Seems like an okay thing to call Jesus. But usually people call Jesus teacher, like Rabboni, or they call him Lord. Rarely do they call him master. It's kind of an interesting saying. So Peter's still trying to figure him out. Who is this guy? Who is Jesus? And then even beyond that, Moses shows up and Elijah shows up. And so he thinks, oh, Jesus is a prophet. He's like Moses and like Elijah. I'm going to build him a temple, all of them, to worship all of them. There's this tension that develops in the text because then all of a sudden this cloud shows up on the mountain, and the text says they're terrified. It's a terrifying cloud. It's not a happy cloud. Have you ever been on a mountain when a cloud shows up? It's terrifying. (laughs) You can't see anything. You've lost all sense of perspective. You don't even know what's about to happen to you. It's terrifying, but in this cloud comes the voice of God and says, this is my son. I know you want to erect temples for other people to worship Moses and Elijah, but this is my son. This is my son. Listen to him. See, God knows who Jesus is. Even if Peter doesn't get it yet, or James or John while they're up on the mountain, God gets it. God knows who Jesus is. Jesus is his son. Jesus is his son. Let me tell you, this is probably one of the most significant things, actually, in the whole of Protestant theology that God knows who Jesus is. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's it's one of the most significant things in all of Protestant theology. Let me try to tell you about it. There's this guy back in the early 19th century, and he wrote this book about something like this. The story goes he was walking in a forest... And he found a watch on the ground. And he picks up the watch and he goes, what is this thing? You know, if he never saw a watch before and he tried to see, here's this thing. It's got a couple dials on it. It moves. It does other interesting things. You know, it's kind of like a rock over there. That's interesting. That's kind of complex. It has a lot of things inside of it, kind of the way this does. So what's important about this thing? Does anybody know what's important about this thing? Express. It tells time. It tells time. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's actually a really good thing. It has a purpose, right? Does a rock have a purpose? Not really. Maybe. It might. It's hard to tell, right? So here's the thing about this. This thing has a purpose. And because it has a purpose, that means perhaps some people say somebody must have created it. This one was made in China, I think. Um but people would sometimes look at a watch like this, and because it has purpose, would assign to it value that God had made this. And because God had made it, it was a special thing. So here's my point, <laughs> and this is complex. I'm trying to, trying to share this. The idea is that sometimes we take ideas about the world and put them into God, rather than God knowing himself and knowing Jesus sharing that with us. It's two different kinds of ways of thinking about something. God knows Jesus, and he gives himself to be known to us. We can't just think on our levels and try to create an idea of God. The most important part about Protestant theology is that God knows who God is, and God shares it with us. So I'm going to try to unpack this about how this actually matters for us, okay? If you're still tracking with me, maybe you're asleep, maybe you're like the high school students and you're, not, you're dozing off over there. I'm going to have them come help me, though. Milo and Ashley, you want to come up here and help me with this really quick? I asked Milo and Ashley before this to come help me with this, so don't worry. It wasn't on the spot. So what we have here is a kids' table. Yeah, yeah, you guys can sit down. So clearly this is not a kids' table that's made for teenagers, but (laughs) it will serve the purpose of what it is that I'm trying to say, Okay. Sometimes in life, we have these ideas outside of the church that are good ideas. Like when we're at home, sometimes it's a good idea to have a kid's table. You know, when you're having meals at home and you have kids that just want to throw food everywhere, they're messy, it goes all over the place, you want something easy to clean up after them, right? Like a kid's table, it's plastic. You can probably just pick it up and just dust everything off, right? Yeah, and it's not too bad. That's a good idea at home. That's a good idea at home. But there's this thing that happened. And that's happened in a lot of churches in the United States of America. They brought that idea into the church. They took that idea of the kids' table and brought it into this place. And in doing that, they essentially said that Ashley and Milo weren't as important as everybody else. They weren't as important as everybody else because they separated them out. They said that church is only for people ages 19 and older, not for people younger than that. And that's a... Significant mistake. But here's the good news. Trinity is a church that's trying to listen to Jesus. Remember that's what God says? This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. A couple of years ago, this is what we did. We took this thing. I would throw it, but that seems irreverent. We took it over here and we said, no more kids table in the church. Milo and Ashley are really important people. They're really important people in this place. That's what God believes about them, and that's what God believes about everybody sitting in this sanctuary. You all are so significant, we're not going to segregate you out anymore. We're going to empower you to be a part of the life of the church in a meaningful way, and so they keep their chairs, though. We didn't get rid of the kids' table. Everybody has a chair now, and they all get to participate in the one table at the church. Perfect. Thanks for helping out. You guys can give him a clap. Thank you. (laughs) Does that sort of make sense? That's this idea of Protestant theology, God knowing Jesus. God knows Jesus. Sometimes we take ideas outside of the church about things that we think are good in life and we bring them to make them think they're about God when they may or may not be. That's that piece about discernment that's so difficult that we hear in this text from the Gospel of Luke. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Let me tell you cool stories about when we got rid of the kids' table at Trinity in the last year that I'm really excited about and I see happening here and really exciting things. One is that uh, there's a teenager. Her name is Gabby Seguenza. I don't know if she's here today. I didn't see her. But she has taken on this incredible leadership role in our church to help us worship on Sunday mornings. She's even going to become a team leader for our worship. Last year, I don't know if you were here during Lent, but there was that really special worship service where the cross was laying on the steps, and then people were able to tear off magazines and put them up on the cross, and then we lifted it up. That was all Gabby Seguenza. We sat in Bible study together, and she said, what if we did this? She was listening to Jesus, and it helped us worship. It was beautiful. It was amazing. It was so cool. The worship service during Advent, when we did the big peace thing, do you all remember that worship service if you were here? That happened because the kids' table was gone. Because we said children can help us worship. Children are an integral part of that. High school students are going to be helping us lead worship this day. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Trinity is listening to Jesus in some pretty awesome ways with youth ministry. So I just want to share that as an example of how this place is living into that, living into God knowing Jesus. It's pretty cool. See, at the end of the day, this text about God knowing Jesus is about fellowship and about meals. It's that everybody has a place at this table. Everyone has a place at this table. Everyone has a place at Jesus' table. God knows Jesus. Everyone has a place at that table. To conclude, I want to share a little bit about one more meal I had when I was in Michigan. Um, one of the events that I went to, a theology professor from Western Theological Seminary, Holland, Michigan, he was giving a lecture on, uh, on his own experience with being diagnosed with incurable cancer and what that meant to be a theologian in the midst of that time. Pretty heavy stuff but also really beautiful at the same time. And he and I struck up a conversation afterwards, after that lecture, and he invited me to a meal. He invited me to have lunch with him the next day. And so we did. We had lunch together. Um, and it was amazing. And he gave me his book that he just wrote last year. It's called Rejoicing and Lament, Wrestling with Incurable Cancer and Life in Christ. And... Uh, I got to about page 33 a couple days ago, and I just want to read a couple of sentences that he wrote because it was just coming up out of his person. He didn't say this while we were sitting there at lunch, but I could just sense it by the way he was relating to me and by the way we would have conversation and talk with one another. And I thought it was a beautiful witness, and it actually goes along with what I'm trying to say today. So here's what Todd says in his book. He says, Perhaps... Perhaps we could serve a God who is more tame and docile, who fits our culture's definition of love, but isn't a holy God who judges sin. Perhaps we could find a God who doesn't say the sorts of hard things that Jesus does. But as Mark Galley says, the problem with these scenarios is that we know we've made them up to comfort ourselves. When we're alone in the dark, faced with our own mortality, such ideas Can be of no comfort because we know where they came from. We know where they came from ourselves. For true hope in the face of death, we have nowhere else to go besides the Word of God, which finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God, as Peter testified. He's talking about a passage from the Gospel of John. See, Peter gets it at some point, he gets it at some point. He knows Jesus because God knows Jesus. That's our scripture for this morning. Will you pray with me? Gracious, loving God, that's exactly what you are. You're filled with love. You're filled with grace. It's not anything that we've made up on our own, but it's your story It's your story that you knew yourself and you sent yourself to be with us as Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for that, God. We are so thankful for that. We're thankful that you knew yourself and that you have actually come to us. We haven't just made you up. We haven't just made up these ideas. You're really with us. And that is beyond anything we can thank for. So, Lord, be with us now. Be with us as we continue to worship you. And be with us in powerful ways as we come to the sacrament of communion in a little bit. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.